Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE and TNA Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I have three amazing guests. From AEW Dynamite, we have Ricky Starks, who's going to be involved in that 21-man battle royal at All Out on Saturday. Also, from AEW, we have Le Champion, Chris Jericho, just before his big match with Orange Cassidy at All Out as well. And how about this? The new documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, the one and only former world champion, David Arquette, joins us right here on the Busted Open Podcast. I'm very excited for our next guest. Of course, All Out is taking place this Saturday on pay-per-view, on BR Live. And a big part of what we talked about with that casino battle royale that's taking place, 20-man battle royal that's taking place on All Out. And somebody who... Since joining up with a certain person, Bully, that you know very well, is doing some big things with AEW. Let's bring him in right now. Ricky Starks joins us here. Ricky, how are you this morning? Back. Here we go. Uh, I think Ricky's... Uh, see, it's not just me. Ricky's having problems with his internet. I'm having problems with my internet. Joe is having problems with his internet. The only one not having a problem with his internet is Bully. So let me just try one more time because I know we're having some difficulty. Ricky, are you there, buddy? Tremendous. No. Okay. We'll try to get Ricky. We'll try to get Ricky up and running. He's he's there, but he says he's there, but he's really not there. You know what I'm talking about, Bully? You hear me? We're gonna have him. We're gonna hear you loud and clear. We're gonna have you guys. You can hear me. Uh, you hear me? I'm good. You hear me, bully? I'm good. Hello. You see me? I'm on. Do you? Hello, bully. Can you hear me now? Good. I can. I, am I there? Okay. Good. All right. We're gonna try to get Ricky on the phone because we're having some. You know what's uh, probably going on? Problems. I bet you Taz pulled the plug on Ricky's internet because Taz doesn't want Ricky talking because Taz wants to talk for everybody, brother. I don't know. Well, I mean, Taz has been doing a lot of talking, but he does have two great guys by his side with Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. And you look at this 20-man casino battle royal that's taking place on Saturday. And I wasn't kidding around, Bully. Like, you're right. At All Out, amazing battle royal. Maybe the greatest battle royal of all time at All All in. All in. I'm sorry, at all in, but all out that's taking place on Saturday, the anticipation for what's going to take place on Saturday, there's actual stories going into this battle royal on Saturday, Bully. And that's good because if you can, normally battle royals are just, uh, for lack of a better word, a throwaway match. But if you have stories going to the battle royal, that means you can kind of present little little scenes within your battle royal. And that's what's actually happened at All In. There were little scenes created where the action stopped for just like a brief second so you could see something unfold. And I think that's what made the battle royal at All In such a memorable and great battle 
battle royal, dare I say the greatest battle royal that's ever taken place. Um, you're, you're a huge fan. You're emotionally invested in a battle royal. Then I have to say that AEW has gotten the job done. That's all it's about. We, We always talk about emotional investment. You want to see this battle royal, and there's a reason why you want to see it, and that's all you need. Yeah, and there's stories, and the one big story going into this battle royal, one is Brian Cage and Lance Archer that we saw played out last night. The other one is with Darby Allen and the guest that joins us right now, absolute Ricky Starks. Ricky, are you there, buddy? I'm back. I'm finally, yes! finally glad we can get this uh, working now. <laughs> all right. No, this is good. We got you. This is great. No, we're awesome, and we're here with Absolute Ricky Starks, who's going to be involved in the 20-man Casino Battle Royal that's taking place at All Out on Saturday. So, Ricky, let me ask you first, because you are a former guest here on Busted Open for Get Yourself Over Monday, and then, you know, just talk about what the last, like, three months have been for you. It's honestly been insane. It's something I couldn't even predict it. Uh, I was on Busted Open, uh, and then obviously, uh, you know, Cody issued the the challenge on TV. Um, And I remember, like, sitting in the gym and just manifesting and envisioning that's the way I got into AEW. And uh, I want to say five days later, I get a text from Cody asking uh, if I wanted to come and do the challenge. And then I go and have the match with Cody, and I think it's a one-off deal. And I come home and I get offered a contract and I'm just like, what happened? You know what I'm saying? What, what, what changed? How how did things change so quickly uh, in such a short time period? Uh, But obviously the jumping off period was definitely getting on, on the, you know, get yourself over Monday. And it went from there. Ricky, Ricky, you had to have a sense of pride um, after the match with Cody and then getting that phone call because that's about as old school as it gets when you earn yourself an opportunity in the world of pro wrestling. You showed up for a mm-hmm. one night, you showed up for a one night gig and all you were promised was one night and one payday and then when you left, they shook your hand, they said thank you very much, hey, maybe you'll hear from us, maybe you won't and they did call you. So uh, as a younger guy earning his opportunity in an old school way, do you have a sense of pride about that being able to do it, quote unquote, the right way? Absolutely. Uh, Arn actually pointed that out as well. He said, you know, that's very rare that you come in and you have a match and it's supposed to be a one-off thing. And then you get picked up from that. He goes, that's, that's in this day and age, that's super rare. So he kind of put in perspective uh, for me when he told me that. And, Dude, I, I there's a, a overwhelming amount of pride that I have for that because that to me that's the that's the best thing that I've ever felt like so incredibly proud of. I know that sounds bad, but there's things where I'm like, ah, oh, this could have been better. But this is one of those moments where I'm like, holy crap! Like that that's what I did. You know, I, I busted my ass for so long, and it paid off in a way that I could have never imagined. I would have never guessed or even expected the the way things panned out to go that way, especially from you come in for one match, you go home, think it's all, you know, that was it. And then you get a, a call from Tony and it's like, Hey, we want to offer you something. I was like, what? That was, I just had $4 in my bank account when I was wrestling with Cody. Makes no sense. You know, what's beautiful about it, Ricky, and listening to this story from you is that, 
you know, it's the same as the fans watching this show. You know, a lot of people are thinking, all right, this is just storyline. Here comes Ricky Starks. You know, Cody's doing these, you know, TNT Championship Open Challenges and, and giving people a shot. And this could be their way of getting to be a part of the AEW roster. So for a lot of fans, they feel like this is just storyline. But the, the beauty of this is this is real life. This is like a true way for somebody from the outside to get a chance on the inside. Side, and like your story is a true success story played out on television. Yeah. And it, it's crazy because I, I literally have done everything by myself. I, I'm not a part of no clicks or anything. I went under the radar for so long. Uh, like I didn't have those types of help, you know, help, someone to, to help me up when I needed it. It's literally me doing it by myself, DIY. And, and that's a, a greater feeling that I've never felt before. Um, so yeah, I tell people all the time, I said, no, I really was only supposed to come. That's how I saw it was a one-off. They didn't have any other dates for me. It was just supposed to be one thing. And obviously the, the rest is history from there. And especially after the match with Cody, I was like, I, for not wrestling for five months and then having to go and do that with those types of stakes, uh, on the line in my head, I was like, that, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And it really is the uh, the antithesis of getting yourself over. Uh, n- nothing puts a gun to your head than being on live TV and told, you know, and basically the underlying message is if you do a good job, we might think about using you. So, you know, we kid around about get yourself over Monday. But what you did was you got yourself over on that Wednesday. Uh, and that's how you earned yourself your opportunity. Uh, broad stroke question here. What's it like working with Taz? Taz is awesome. Taz, this is the thing. I've gone through the independence not really having someone there to, to pull me to the side and tell me certain things. They don't teach you nothing about business when you go to a wrestling school. So to have Taz there, he teaches me stuff about the business aspect of it in addition to different promos or how to, to look at something in a different way. And it gives me a better perspective just because Taz comes from a very old-school mentality. And in certain ways, I feel like me and Taz um, are, are relatable in the sense because I think he gets it. He just doesn't see me as like, oh, it's just a pretty boy gimmick or whatever you want to call it. He's like, this dude's tough. He, he don't take no shit from anyone. And I feel like that's how Taz was a little bit more to an extreme extent back in the day. And he still is. But I, I like the fact that he doesn't treat me any different than most people would normally. You know, and I just want to, uh, a tiny little correction on something that you said, uh, and I'm sad <laughs> to even have to say this, but you said how wrestling schools don't teach you the business of the wrestling business. Uh, I think a, maybe a better way to put it is that not enough schools teach you, because I know if you go to a Team 3D Academy uh, run by myself or my brother Devon, we teach you the business of the wrestling business. If you go to Booker T, he will teach you the business of the wrestling business. Mm. You go to a Lance Storm, he will teach you the business of the wrestling business. But unfortunately, there are a lot of wrestling schools out there, or the majority of the wrestling schools are run by people who don't understand the business of the wrestling business and can't educate guys and gals like you. And that's why I have a problem with so many modern-day wrestling schools, because there's 101 things that you need to learn other than wrestling moves. Anybody can learn 
learn a move. Any athlete, you're an athlete, Ricky. I can teach you how to do a side headlock takeover, a drop kick, or a 450 moonsault. If Dreamer taught you how to do a 450, it's because that's his weight, not because he can actually oh. do the move. But I digress. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but I, but that is true because because the training that Taz got was the like the training that Johnny Rods gave him, and you always taught all aspects of the wrestling business. I'm really happy to hear you say that answer because it's good to have veterans like that who can teach you a wide variety of things. And you're lucky enough to be surrounded by other veterans in that company, like a Billy Gunn or a Dean Malenko, who understand yeah. the business of the wrestling business. And like you said, an Arn Anderson. Yeah, and that's all I ever wanted. I, I, I remember getting so frustrated when I was on the, the indies because I wasn't a name or anything like that, but I just didn't have the the... I didn't have access to someone telling me, Hey, this is maybe try it this way. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have the minds to pick. So now I come here and it's like a kid in the candy shop. I'm just like, yo, there should be no reason why I shouldn't be successful. I am literally surrounded by years and years of experience. There should be no reason why I can't be successful. You know? So I I'm over the moon about that. Ricky, um, you're a younger guy who seems to be really open to all of this veteran information and knowledge. Unfortunately, I hear a lot of stories of a lot of guys and gals your age that are close-minded to it. Um, what are you witnessing in AEW with the younger talent? Are they um, embracing this veteran knowledge, or are they kind of just doing things the way they want to do? I think there's some younger talent who are they're, they're bit apprehensive to go and ask, right? Because I, I obviously no one wants to be told, Hey, this wasn't right. Or they don't want to hear the negative criticism sometimes. And that's with everybody. But uh, for the most part, I've seen, I've seen vets go up to people and, and say, Hey, maybe try this and that. And the response has been super receptive and open. And I think it's just a matter of just taking the time to teach, uh, to, you know, teach some of the younger kids. Cause the, they don't know. They they wouldn't know. They they think it's fine because no one's came up to them and told them. So there's people who go and sit them down and say, hey, I saw this from last week or two weeks ago. Maybe switch this up, tighten this up. And then I see a change immediately that night on, on Dynamite or Dark. So I think as far as this this group of people go, they're super open to getting that type of feedback because it's, it's, it's important, obviously. Uh, but I also think, too, that if you can have, if you can combine the younger style with the older, let's say, uh, philosophies, uh, it makes for a, a great wrestler, man. Like, I don't get why people would be closed off to that. You know, Ricky, let's get into what's going to take place on Saturday. You know, your first pay-per-view with AEW. You're involved in a heavy story with Darby Allen going into this casino battle royal on Saturday at All Out. And again, with All Out, it's available on pay-per-view and BR Live. I mean, what's it like for you? Like you just said, a few months ago, just having like a couple bucks in your pocket. Now you're involved in a storyline that's played out on AEW Dynamite, on TNT, on national TV, and now you're getting a exposure on your first real pay-per-view with AEW. I, I think it's crazy. I, I felt this way when I had that, uh, the main event with Darby, or, you know, me and cage versus Darby and Moss. I couldn't, it's just something to, I can't even fathom it sometimes, man. I just sit here. I'm just like, what is going on? 
So to have to have the, the situation with Darby happen, and then to go into my first pay per view, um, obviously I'm I'm really expecting to pull out all the works here, but uh, this is my my first big opportunity to really prove to people that yeah I may be great on dynamite or dark, but let me show you what I can do on a pay per view. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm more of a stadium status pay per view status type guy, so I'm I'm actually looking really forward to it. Uh, it, it, we got the crowd. We got a, a top-notch card. Uh, so I'm, I feel like I'm 14 again when I used to watch. So it's, I'm really excited. You know, Ricky, when you look at what's taking place on Dynamite, which you, what's taking place Saturday at All Out, and what just took place last night, on AEW mm-hmm. Dynamite, and that is, you know, Thunder Rosa with that NWA Women's Championship. I mean, not too long ago, the only exposure you had was, was with the NWA. I mean, what are your feelings on seeing somebody that you work so closely with in the NWA on TV just like you last night? It's a crazy feeling because I remember being in the locker room and, and talking to Eddie and talking to Rosa and things like that, and... um it's great, great time at NWA. Don't get me wrong, but obviously that we're always looking to, to get up to that next thing. But I don't think if you asked us even back then, all three of us, that we would be uh, sharing the same locker room or sitting down and eating that catering together. Uh, <laughs> if that would even be a possibility. And so I think I remember when Eddie came in, we just was like, look where we came from and look where we're at now. This is crazy. Uh, it's great to see her, too. She put on a, a hell of a match last night. I thought it was great. Eddie has been nothing but hitting hundreds out of the park uh, with promos and stuff like that. So I think this, I think what we have has finally told people like, oh, wow, these were the people that were in NWA. Now they're at AW. Wow. Why didn't I see that beforehand? Or maybe I saw, you know, a glimpse of that. But we've taken it. We've taken the opportunity uh, straight head on and, and I'm just Man, I'm so happy to to be in the same locker room with the people that I shared, what, nine months ago, ten months ago? So, you know, you've alluded to the fact that it's like mesmerizing for you or like you're like, wow, I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe I'm here. Just a little advice, man. Take some time to smell the roses and enjoy the ride because, you know, the speed of life goes by very fast and pro wrestling goes by even faster. And before you know it, it's all, you know, it it could be gone. So, you know, take the time to enjoy it. And, you know, I I hope you go out there on this pay-per-view and really kill it and really show the world what you can do because I think Ricky Starks needs to go out there and show uh, wrestling fans especially AEW fans what really separates him from the rest of the pack and if I had to ask you what does separate you from the rest of the pack what makes you special from any other wrestler in AEW that's easy intensity absolutely intensity there you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody at AEW that can match me on intensity in motion and, uh, and and I'm willing to put my whole yearly salary on the table for that. Uh, so I, when it, you know people talk about the charisma and things like that, and that's cool. There's a lot of charismatic people there, but it's very rare that you find someone who is so intense when you watch them and, and able to draw out different emotions and things like that. Uh, that that's what I really hang my hat on. So when it comes to that part. I make sure that that is the, the standout thing. The charisma will come 
you just just look at me. I already look like I'm charismatic. Sure, that's fine. But when we actually get into the the thick of things, and you you sit down and you watch and you see me talk or you see me wrestle, there's a different feeling that you get from me than you get from other people on the show or even I'll just say in this business. I think that's what is also a big difference there as well. So yeah, those two things for sure: intensity and emotion. All right, talking about intensity and emotion, let's talk about Darby Allen. He's kind of been the thorn in your side. You're going to be able to get your hands on him on Saturday night. Talk a little bit about Darby Allen, especially like the little squirmish you had uh, last night on AEW Dynamite. Well, obviously, the the situation with Darby kind of took a different turn um, originally because, you know, there was some beef with him in Cage, and then I came out. And I was trying to do my best to, to take care of the situation for Cage, and it, it turned into something a lot bigger than that with the thumbtacks and whatnot. But uh, last night, he ripped up my shirt. Uh, yeah. I paid over $250 for that shirt. That got ripped up. Uh, the dude is a maniac, basically. But I, I'll be honest with you. There's something about him that I actually enjoy, and I think it's the fact that he can get his ass kicked for so long and keep on going. And for someone who likes to take out his frustrations on other people, uh, I think that's a match made in heaven. I think for sure at the pay-per-view, um, me personally, I'm going to make sure to it that I'm, I'm in the final four, not Darby. And then hopefully we can close the book on this because it's too often that I'm, I'm coming out here. I turn around and I'm getting jumped or I'm getting side, you know, sidetracked from Darby he comes out on a skateboard, knocks me out of my shoes, different stuff like that, man. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to the, when it comes to the pay-per-view for Darby Allen, then he'll get a pay-per-view ass whooping. That's what I'm going to deliver. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. And, and also too, I want to make a point to say that if it was anybody else, I don't think it would have gone, uh, as, <laughs> as down as deep down the rabbit hole as it has. But with Darby, there's something about him that while he also pisses me off, I cannot, I, I can't stop thinking about like, what is this dude made of? You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm always trying to figure it out and I can't. And I think that's what really pisses me off too, is that I can't figure him out. Because you're two different people. Here's the here's the thing, Ricky. You're a damn good looking man. All right. You care about Thank your you. appearance. Like you said, you had a you had a shirt on last night, two hundred and fifty dollars. Why? Because you're on national TV. You want to look good because you know you're gonna be on TV. And then Darby Allen yeah, comes around on make the yeah, and Darby's coming down with a $5 T-shirt on, not giving a, a crap about what he looks like, has no respect for anybody but himself. And then, you know, you need to put somebody like that in his place. Like I said, you're somebody. Bully's talking. His Bully's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. He's telling you that he respects you two-time Hall of Famer. He's in the TNA Hall of Fame as well. You know, same building as the WWE Hall of Fame. So now I'm, I'm looking at it like this. Here's a look how good you are and Darby Allen he doesn't care he he would just be happy going on a skateboard ramp looks like we lost Dave again Dave you're going on one of your rants and your internet provider Joe doesn't like your rants Ricky I I don't know what Dave is trying to say he's probably just going to chime in whenever he wants so give me a prediction for all out Ricky what's going to happen you you tell me are you winning 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who think that it's either we got to figure out this thing between me and Cage. Uh, but honestly, I think me and Cage have a good enough friendship to where, yeah, I think he, he will allow by by uh, action or force or however you want to go with that. He'll allow me to go ahead and, and get the win there. Uh, just because, in my opinion, Cage has already had his chance at the title. I haven't. So let's just be even Stevens and Team Taz, okay? So let me go ahead and get my moment, see how that goes, then we'll go from there. But as far as the prediction goes, I'm telling you right now, I am going all the way through, and I'm winning. Ricky, you were able to earn your job in a singles match. How does it feel to be part of a, of a, of a group now? I know it's a three, you, and I believe the name of the group is FTW. Is being a part of a group mm-hmm. something that you are comfortable with, or are you having to get more comfortable with as time rolls on? You know what? I'm actually comfortable with it, and I think I'm comfortable with it because while we are a team, we're a unit, um, it's very rare that you'll see us tag team. Uh, and I think that's good to keep that type of individuality. Uh, and on top of that too, I, I'm pretty much doing everything that I would do as a singles in the group. I cut my own promos. I get to, to do my own matches, you know what I'm saying? So it's good to have backup when I need it, but you know, as a, as a collective, as a unit, I don't feel like it's a, a tag team or anything like that. I, I actually like it because it's more of a brotherhood and, if I need advice or if I need help, Taz is right there. If I need the muscle or if I need a situation handled that's too big for me, Cage is there. You know what I'm saying? So I like it. I actually don't mind it at all uh, because I haven't lost my individuality. Am I on? Yeah, yeah you hear me? Now. I, I, it had nothing to do with my internet. Actually, while I was screaming and yelling, I passed out. Okay, so I apologize for that. <laughs> It's because I care, Ricky. Like I was saying, you got a Hall of Famer and a legend who, who's giving you props, and you got a kid like Darby Allen not giving a shit. So I apologize. Right. Sorry for, for passing out, Ricky. I, I wish you all the luck on Saturday at All Out, the 20-man Casino Battle Royal. I think you're a favorite to win the whole thing. That's why I, Did I say 21-man? You said twenty man, but it's all good, David. You just oh. you just came back to consciousness, so I'm not going to fault you there. Twenty plus Ricky, twenty plus Ricky Starks, twenty plus Ricky Starks, because Ricky Starks is winning the go. whole damn thing. Ricky, thanks so much for joining us, man. We truly appreciate the time. Thank y'all for having me. Great to thanks, talk Ricky. Y'all. Good all luck, right. brother. Keep up the good work. Take care. Basketball has become a global game. From legends such as Hakeem Olajuwon and Dirk Nowitzki to today's superstars like Giannis and Luka Doncic. Giannis to the rim, slam it with the left hand. There's no shortage of international talent in the NBA. World of Basketball with Fran Fraschilla is a podcast dedicated to profiling the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the sport in their countries. New episodes available Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora Podcasts, iTunes, and Stitcher. Joining us now, and I can't say... Enough good things about this documentary. I've already watched it three times. I watched it again last night. You cannot kill David Arquette. And to talk all about that bully is somebody who is also a part of our 10-year anniversary party. And that is the legendary David Arquette. David, how are you, man? I'm great. How are you guys? We're good. I'm excited about having you on today. 
Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Except uh, the Biff Naked. Let's <laughs> let's not let's not ever do the Biff Naked song again. <laughs> now we have wrestling's not fake. There you go. Please. I mean, we need to get over that now, David. And I and I want to say this is that the whole documentary is about changing the perception, changing the perception of people have in you. And do you feel now that that documentary is said and done and it's out there, do you feel you finally got people to look at you differently in the world of pro wrestling? Yeah, I do. I feel more accepted when I go into the locker room, more like I'm one of the boys. Last time I saw Bully Ray at, at Ring of Honor, <laughs> we had, you know, there was a nice uh, cordial <laughs> exchange. <laughs> you know, it, it, it took a lot. But uh, yeah, I do feel like I, I know a, a little bit more about wrestling than I did before. Just a little. David, was it important for you to have people change their perception of you when it came to pro wrestling? And why? Because you're a Hollywood actor, not a pro wrestler. So why would you want people's perception changed? Uh, more so because I always loved wrestling and then it would, you know, interfere with my love of it. I feel like I'd take my wife to go see it and some people would be rude and other people would be cool to get it. But, uh, I don't know. It just, it had an effect on my like ability to enjoy it. I, and it also had an effect on my sort of self-esteem in a way, you know, I realized like through the course of this, that it's really about believing in yourself and, uh, not letting, you know, it, like a t tweet or something, only really hurts if you're also telling yourself the same stuff, you know, that you're not good enough, you're not tough enough or whatever it is. So I just wanted to prove it for myself, really. You've had to deal with a lot of BS when it comes to the pro wrestling business. Now, you may have told this story before, but who was the very first person that actually reached out to you about being involved with WCW? Um. I think it might have just all come through Warner Brothers and all that. I don't know. There, there's, it's weird. I had kind of had a relationship with Eric Bischoff through Jason Hervey. Uh, so we had known each other. But then I got to know Dallas during the whole filming of, of Ready to Rumble and, and Canyon and, and some of the guys that I spent more time with. So I'm not exactly sure. It's weird because at the end of Ready to Rumble, my character becomes wrestler. And I think that's kind of where the germ of the idea, like getting me involved, kind of came from. And then it all just kind of turned where, <laughs> you know, they had an insurance policy, so I couldn't do anything. And nobody wanted to, like, have me hit them or, you know, I couldn't hurt anybody because that would, you know, lessen their shine or whatever. My specific question, though, and, and asking you that is like because it's been a it's been a rough road for you with you know people not appreciating you or taking shots at you or affecting your ability to enjoy pro wrestling. Did you ever like, for lack of a better word, hold a grudge against the people that brought you in? Because ever since you've been brought into the wrestling world, you know, like you said, you, you know, you've been made fun of a little bit, and it's been a rough road. You had to make this documentary just to get bad taste. Did you ever like say to those guys like, dude? What the frick did you get me into over here? No, not really. I mean, 
to be honest, it's, it's a complete double-edged sword. I mean, as, as bad as it was like getting bullied for 20 years, I was the world champion, you know what I mean? And I got to, my, my favorite part of that whole experience was being able to travel with Hulk Hogan and, and Sting and all these guys and hear some behind the scenes stories and have drinks with Ric Flair and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't have traded it for the world. You know, when it first came up, I was like, this is a horrible idea. Uh, we can't do that. You know, you gotta be kidding. But then they kind of explained it to me Dallas was like, well, you, you, you know, if you don't do it, the ready to rumble promotion is dead. It's over. You won't be coming with us. And, and they explained to me that if I did do it, I'd be on for a couple of weeks and I got to travel with them. I got to go to all these cities. I got to kind of live the every fan's kind of dream. That's how I looked at it when it first I was like, well, I'll be the first sort of fan that would be a, like made a champion. And I thought that would be kind of like a you know, wish fulfillment kind of thing. But in retrospect, obviously uh, all this has happened, but it's still, you know, the big message for me was like, never, you know, let other people define, define you, you know, never, you know, if you want to, you know, if you put in the hard work, if you do like give it your all, if you really pay your dues, you can achieve what you want to achieve. Like I'd never want to win another belt or anything unless maybe a tag team belt with RJ city, but not like a big company's belt or anything. You know, watching the documentary, David, um, it, it's an emotional documentary first off. And I, and watching it myself, I got emotional because you see how much you are in love with the pro wrestling business. And right off the bat at the start of the movie, you're explained, and especially when you you have that confrontation with uh, Brian Nobbs at the, at the uh, hotel for Wrestling Legends. Like, I got emotional. I, I got very, very emotional because it's like you fall in love with a woman and that woman doesn't love you back. And that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> like, I, I know, I know it's, it's, a, it's a crazy analogy, but it's true. When you're in love with somebody so much and they just don't love you. And that's how I felt like with you, with the wrestling business, man, you love it. You've always been a fan. You were a fan at a young age. You even have your sister in the documentary where you talked about your love for pro wrestling. And then that industry doesn't love you back. I mean, yeah, and, then to, and then to live with that for, you know, two decades. I mean, how were you able to kind of like still enjoy something that didn't love you back like, like pro wrestling? I, you know, I don't know, like you, when you get in into it, like if you would get into it deep, you realize that everybody involved in the business loves wrestling. You know what I mean? The reason they're in the business for the first place is because they love wrestling. And that goes down to the wrestlers, but also the promoters, the, you know, people selling merch at the, the uh, different events, you know, the people that dedicate their life to wrestling, love wrestling. So I was always like, well, why am I, why can't I love wrestling? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, is it because I was an actor? Is it because, you know, I, at the time I was married to someone on like Friends, like the biggest show at the time. So, and I just also didn't like being punked, like saying like, you know, like people judging me before they even know me. Like uh, people don't know how I grew up. Like they might think like I'm from the Arquette family or this or that, but you know, my grandfather was famous. My 
my my dad was like a jobber actor who worked 45 years just going from commercial to like you know uh industrial films like anything he could to 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 pay the bills so it wasn't like we grew up with silver spoons in our mouth and it's like they're all uh, like having these opinions of me and i just wanted to prove myself and what i realized was you know if you're not you know big and strong you could still be tough and especially crazy and i could i could go crazy with you know the best of them it, when you when you looked at the finished product for the first time were you happy the way it came out is it exactly what you wanted it to be and is it is it a good representation of who you are right now uh, I don't know. It's kind of complicated. My wife is the real champion of this movie. She she produced it, and and uh, David Darg and Price James were incredible directors. That, but at some point, my my wife <laughs> she kicked me out of the editing room because I was too close. Like, I wanted a few more things. Like, there's one part where I said I hadn't worked in 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 te- I hadn't gotten a job in ten years. But what they hadn't included was that was from an audition. I hadn't worked from an I haven't gotten a job from an audition in 10 years. So I had worked within that time. And I was trying to explain, you can't, I don't want you to be lying to wrestling fans because wrestling fans remember everything. They're also incredibly, uh, you know, savvy to things that are fake or when you try to like pull their leg or something. So I, and there's also little moments within, some of the matches where I was more, I wanted more storytelling, like the story of the match being told, like in the end, like it has me looking like I won and, and, uh, Mr. Anderson won, <laughs> uh, won that, that match, you know what I mean? So it, it looks like I'm, I'm, you know, the winner, but you know, I, I, I wanted to go out on my back and, you know, not, you know, so it's little things like that, that, you know, they kind of overruled me and, and kind of cut it the way they wanted. You know, too, like going back to that moment when you won the championship, I think that's gotten a ex- bit exaggerated over time. Like, David, as I was a huge fan of WCW. And when that moment happened, I, I think most fans understood what it was. It was promotion for a movie, ready to rumble. Like, I think most fans you know, understood that. Do you think that that's kind of gotten exaggerated and it's become more like a myth over time than how it really was perceived at the moment that it happened? Absolutely. I think part of the problem was not too long after that, the the company crumbled. So, uh, but there were so many other factors involved in that, but I think that did lead to like, and then the books being written and kind of tying me into that stuff I definitely think it got overblown, but uh, it is also a real example of how important those belts are. And once you sort of experience it and you're out on the road and you're, you know, wrestling and then you understand like on a deeper level, how personal it is. It is like, you know, a wrestler's Oscar or something or, or gold medal or, you know, so you, I totally understood. And I did know it at, back then. I just thought it would be taken more, uh, you know, with, with a, a crazy kind of wrestling surprise, which are fun when those happen where you don't see things coming. And and it would be uh, 
like a fan's dream, but but obviously it was taken differently. Uh, during this like kind of road to redemption or change in perception that you were trying to achieve and with the making of the documentary, um, what wrestlers did you find were most willing to work with you? Wow. Uh, Cole Cabana was incredible. Um, Ethan Page. I mean, RJ City, a, a lot of a lot of the guys who had been around a long time kind of got it a lot more. I always went into it to like where we'd set up matches in a way where it wouldn't be, uh, you know, I wouldn't like come out like, you know, <laughs> not be. <sighs> I played into the fact that I'm an actor, that I'm learning that, you know, I would dodge and they'd hit the buckle and then I'd have an advantage over them kind of moment. So it wouldn't be like, so I, I wanted to respect the wrestlers too, but there was definitely some that it's like acting. I mean, there's, there's actors who start believing their gimmick you know what I mean? and they get really big and, and ego, uh, you know, their egos are, are really huge about it and, and they kind of lose touch a little bit. But for the most part, yeah, one of my favorite stories ever is uh, I got to wrestle Honky Tonk Man, which was like such a thrill for me. But I, uh, we, uh, we had the whole merch kind of moment before our match, and uh, it was at Fortune Bania, this really great uh, wrestling event up in Minnesota. And, um, and I went, I went around and I found a guy selling action figures and I got a honky tonk one. And then I brought it to him and I paid him. Uh, I insisted on paying him to sign it and he signed it so that when we got in the ring, uh, he sold for me <laughs> and, and RJ said, he was like, I can't believe honky tonk sold for you. That is like so much. I was like, I think the, the key is like, you know, I don't know. I'm a fan first and foremost. I mean, uh, people don't like saying that they're marks, but I'm a mark in a way because I like going to the events. I like buying people's t-shirts and, and, and merch. And like, I like making, I like picking the wrestlers that, you know, appeal to me and then like following them and, and all that stuff. So I really, I mean, I love wrestling. I love getting in the ring and everything. But my favorite part, honestly, is sort of being one of the fans. That's awesome. And, you know, like watching this documentary and everybody, again, should definitely watch. You cannot kill David Arquette. It's a it's a fantastic documentary. Several times during this interview, you mentioned RJ City. Like I, I explain to me, David, because you're, you know, you've been in the world of wrestling. You're, you know, you've been in the world of Hollywood. You're an actor. How is RJ City not bigger than who than he is right now? I mean, that fucking guy is so talented. He's amazing. Like in the ring, outside the ring, on the microphone, you know, with his YouTube shows. Like this is somebody who should be huge, and not enough people know about this guy. <laughs> Yeah, I think like he's really so good at what he does that it's kind of people get like perplexed, <laughs> like like when he brings up you know, you know, stalker Channing or some reference like that, and they're like, "What are you, Rizzo. What are you talking about?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But he's like, you know, he he like he really, I don't know, he might be. 
uh, like a little. I don't. I don't want to say he's too smart for some of the the bigger companies or something, but I don't. I don't. Don't know if they get him yet. You know what I mean? Or they understand like what he's doing. Like, but he's completely. Uh, he's so quick on his toes. He's so incredibly talented. He's an amazing writer. He produces all his own content. He's a. He's a great guy, and he's a horrible. Horrible human being on top of that. <laughs> he's so mean to me. He's so mean to me. Like, he's like old school because it's, he plays, you know, when you like in the, in the old school where you'd walk into the bar, you know, heels on one side and baby faces on another. I mean, he's always mean to me. He's always, <laughs> I, I honestly, I honestly think he hates my acting. He hates, <laughs> you know, what I represent. Uh, you know, so, but you know, on another hand, he he likes me because uh, I wrestled him with three fractured ribs, and then he was like, <laughs> he couldn't believe I, I I sort of went for it that way. I mean, taking bumps on on fractured ribs is like a pain I'll never forget. Well, David, let's face it. He he sticks around with you because he's hoping that you're going to introduce him to some 80-plus-year-old actress from old-school Hollywood. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason why he's hanging with you, David. You know that, right? Yeah. Also, I owe him to get him on a talk show. Like, that was our deal in, in tag. He, he agreed to tag team if I'd get him on a late-night talk show, and it has to have a couch and, you know— but you know, it, I have I've found it hard to uh, <laughs> to get that done. I'm still working on it, but uh, it's it's proved to be tricky. Also, RJ City's very very vocal on social media, bully, and uh, and I believe on social media he tweeted that uh, David Arquette sandbagged you on, on a power bomb, bully. Yeah, I did read that tweet. What's that about? I don't know. Did you? No, I don't think I did. I didn't. That, that's what your good, close, to. personal friend RJ City said. He said, <laughs> I witnessed David Arquette sandbag Bully Ray on a powerbomb. No, I didn't purposely. I'm See, a lot. And I, and I hugged Listen, you at people, Ring of Honor. I thought we were finally getting someplace in our relationship and that maybe no. we could become a little closer. Now the guy that's closest to you said that in a wrestling ring, you sandbagged me after I let you spear me, after I let you punch me in the face, after I let you give me a bloody nose. Now I'm finding out that Mr. I want to be credible pro wrestler sandbagged me? Fuck you, David Arquette. <laughs> listen, listen. I don't even. I don't. I'm, I'm sort of piecing together what sandbagging is. I, I could assume it's it's like somebody who makes themselves heavy instead of light. I, I don't know, but uh, I didn't purposefully. Everyone sort of <laughs> has a different under like thought of me. Like they think I'm like some actor guy, but then RJ's like, wow, he's actually much more athletic than you'd think. And I'm much heavier than you'd think. And I, I don't really know how to do everything. So it's like, you know, I, 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 Randy Orton had a hard time picking me up too, but you know, it's just, I'm not sure how to like 
you know, I, I can't believe you did that sometimes. to me. I can't. I thought I we were making did. strides in our acquaintanceship, not friendship, oh, come on, acquaintanceship, buddy. maybe on our way to being friends. But after I read that tweet from RJ City, I said to LaGreca, I don't think I could be friends with, with uh, Arquette because he sandbagged me and he was unprofessional. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I didn't sandbag you. I swear. I swear. But listen, I don't need any more friends, bully. You know, I don't need any more friends. I mean, I can uh, use acquaintances all the all the day long. But, hey, Arquette, uh, guess what? LaGreca's line. But respect Le- for you, bully. Thank you. <laughs> LaGreca's line just dropped out. He's not on the air with us Thank anymore. God. It's just. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's just me and you now. Okay. So the documentary came out. People are going to see it. You're, you're happy with the way it came out. What's next for you when it comes to the world of pro wrestling? Do you want to continue doing things? And if you were to continue doing things and you actually had the pencil in your hand, who would you want to do it with? I would want to continue doing it uh, as a tag team because that's really where I, I had, I enjoy it the most. I feel sort of like protected a little more, um, you know, when you work with people with such experience, you know, the way the, the, the matches play out, the way they're constructed is always just far more thought out. Our, me and RJ have a bit of a like Laurel and Hardy kind of relationship. So that's always really fun. And then traveling together and all that kind of stuff makes it a lot easier when, when you go off to these different places and you don't know, uh, people like, you know, you haven't experienced the promoter or this or that, it always becomes a little bit like, you know, first day of school or something, you're walking in there kind of awkward and I'm, I'm socially awkward anyway. So I would love to, if I were to wrestle again, as a tag team or a manager, but I don't know. I also like the fact that it all exists in this film. And, uh, and, and I, I kind of might want to leave it there unless, unless it was Mark Henry. (laughs) I would love to, (laughs) if he'd ever go, we want to wrestle again. I don't know. Maybe Mark Henry. I'd like to, uh, Punch in the face since I punched you in the face, uh, bully. <laughs> just oh, you'd like oh, to punch I, Mark Henry in the face. You know what? That's nice. I'll mention that. I'll mention that yeah. to Mark because Mark is hosting on this show tomorrow, David. So I'll mention that okay. to him tomorrow. So if there's anybody that could kill David Arquette, it would be Mark Henry. Again, the name of the documentary is You Cannot Kill <laughs> David Arquette. Get it now, David. Thanks so much for the hey, time. I'm such huge fans of you guys. You guys and Mark Henry and all, all the stuff. If you do, I'm busted open. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Murray. You may know me as host of the Sirius XM Blitz on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Here now to introduce you to my new podcast, Going Long. Every week, I'll talk to big names both in and out of the world of sports, Hall of Famers, actors, actresses, comedians, broadcasters, maybe even some chefs. We'll discuss their lives, their successes, their failures, and of course, the one thing that connects all of them, a passion for sports. So join me every Thursday on the Sirius XM app, Pandora, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast for Going Long. And one of the big matches is our next guest going up against Orange Cassidy. And after what we saw last night, Bully, I can't wait for that matchup. He is the demo god. He is the Le Champion. He's also the lead singer of Fozzie, Quarantine, and the Wheel Blocks. Let's bring in our friend, the one and only, 
Chris Jericho. Chris, good morning. How are you today? Hey, what's going on, guys? How are you? What's going on over there? Hey, what are you doing, bully? You've been to the grocery store lately? <laughs> store. S-T-A-W. <laughs> store. Every time I go there, I always think of your rant with the grocery store. Uh, yeah, all good. I'm here in Jacksonville, um, just awaiting the uh, the big day in a couple a uh, couple nights on Saturday, and uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a big one. And I really do think it became so much bigger after what we saw on AEW Dynamite last night. To see the blood, to see you smear the blood on your Orange Cassidy t-shirt. Orange Cassidy, for the most part, uh, I know this sounds kind of strong, he was pretty much just like a gimmick. But what we have been able to see from Orange Cassidy with this feud with you, Chris, I think we look at him in a completely different way. Well, once again, that's the idea. That's what we do here uh, in AEW is we make stars. And uh, Orange was a guy that when I first saw him, when I first heard about him, I wasn't happy about it. I thought it was uh, a joke. I wasn't uh, impressed. And then when I pulled my head out of my rear end, I realized, listen, dude, over is over. It doesn't matter why. Uh, this guy's doing something different. He's unique. And people love him for it. So what's the problem? And um, once I kind of started watching him and studying him as a, as a, as a performer and, and, and understanding his gimmick, it was a no-brainer for me. Like, I want to do something with him. And here's the cool thing, Dave, that I mentioned last night, but I didn't even realize. I was like, when did this angle start? And it started uh, on the first week of June. It's been 14 weeks wow. uh, on September uh, 5th, on the day of all out that we've been working together. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. When you can do a story with somebody and build them up and, and raise them to a different level and also provide 14 weeks of great TV. That's what wrestling's all about. So I'm very proud of that. Do you think there's a ceiling on a character like Orange Cassidy or is the sky the limit for him? Um, and, and you know the answer to this. Yes, there's a ceiling if he portrays himself as a one-trick pony. Um, I always go back to, to, to Mr. Kennedy. Great guy. Uh, always had fun working with him. But in the WWE, he just would do the Mr. Kennedy. And after two or three months, you need to add more shades to that. Um, and that's what Orange has done in the last 14 weeks. Now we've seen he can cut a promo during the debate. His promo was excellent. No one expected that. We've seen a vicious side of him. We've seen a mean streak to him. We've seen he can sell. Yes, he's the guy who puts his hands in his pockets. Yes, he's the guy with the shades and the, you know, the Canadian tuxedo and all that other stuff. But when it comes to it, he showed different sides and different shades and different uh, uh, factions to his character. And that's why the sky is the limit for him because he's smart enough. You know, he, he's very, obviously very, very smart to come up with this character in the first place in response to like, what can I do to be different when I'm working the, you know, the Indies and everybody's doing flipping and flopping and flying and I can do it too. But mine isn't as good as any of theirs. And so what can I do to stand out? And you know, reverse reverse the whip, so to speak, and, and become the laziest wrestler of all time, the most nonchalant wrestler of all time, and that was great. And he can do that, but he also has to show that there's a, you know a side to him that can you know be at a top level, and 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 you've been there, bully. So you know what I'm talking about. Comedy is great; it's entertaining. People love it. But when the ship when when the time comes and the chips are down, you have to show that you can fight and that you have that intensity and that aggression 
and he's shown that. So, yes, the sky is the limit to him, and we've now made him a legit main event star in AEW. And you know that because he beat you on AEW Dynamite. When that victory happened, I don't think anybody saw that coming. But what that victory did, like you just said, it propelled him to main event status. I love how you're relishing that. You really enjoy saying those words. He beat you on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, I know he beat me, of course. And then, listen, I've only been beaten three times, Greca. You get beaten more than that in one day. Uh, and the reason for that is because he deserved it. He worked his way in that position to where it was, it was a very important match for him. And yes, he won, which leads to, you know, Jericho won, Orange Cassidy won, what's the rubber match going to be? Who's the better man? And that leads to the Mimosa Mayhem match this Saturday, much to my chagrin and apparently much to your pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. Ha ha Take that, LaGreca. How much leeway yeah. are you giving? How much leeway are you giving him right now? And do you feel like has he had to sell you on anything that at first you didn't think would work? He really hasn't, Bully. And um, I'm sure you guys have heard kind of the way we do things in AW, but it's pretty much a wide open book. Uh, there's no leeway at all. The idea is let's get this guy to the next level. And listen, it's it's weird. The last two weeks we've had a crowd back, even though it's been 500 people or whatever. Still, that live crowd means the world to us as performers. It's the litmus test. You know, who's over, who's not, what's working, what's not. And you can have as many, you know, kind of uh, talent there, uh, young boys, young girls, rookies, you know, the, the enhancement talent, the, the crew members, whatever you want to say, um, it's not the same as having a real crowd. And I think when we started locking into Orange months and months and months ago, pre-pandemic, there was something about him that people liked. And you can't uh, uh, analyze it. You can't uh, justify it. And it doesn't matter. Over is over. What's the reason for this? Why is he over? Hey, man. Like, like Neil Peart said, why am I here? Because I'm here. Roll the bones. Why does it happen? Because it happens. Why is Orange Cassidy over? Because he's over. So let's look at this, and now we can expand upon it. So there's really no leeway for him. Obviously, to me, doing this for such a long time, when we put together a match, there's certain ideas that I have um, that maybe trump his ideas. But he knows who he is as a character, and that's so important. That's the most important thing. What's the character? How does he react? How does he work? How does he do things? He, he, he reminds me a lot, and this is going to be a strange analogy, but the bully will get this. He reminds me a lot of Kane, and that Kane knew exactly who his character was. He knew exactly what he would do. He knew exactly how he would sell, how he would get offense, and you could suggest a bunch of things to Glenn. And you go, okay, let me try it this way, because he knew exactly who he was in the ring. And believe it or not, Orange Cassidy is the same. He knows what his character is. So a lot of times I'll be, I'll, I'll just say to him, okay, you blah, 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 and then you just be Orange Cassidy, whatever that is. What, 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 what would Orange do in this position? And he puts his spin on it. So um, there's really no leeway at all. It's two guys working together uh, for the betterment of the company, for the betterment of the show, and to get him over, which in turn gets me over. Um. What what is was it? What was it like for you a couple of weeks ago 
when fans were allowed back into Daly's place to finally hear fans singing your song again. Uh, even though you had heard it a thousand times before, whether it's at a Fozzie gig or an AEW show, you haven't heard it in a long time. So how was it for you to hear those fans singing Judas again? Yeah, um, I mean, it was 500 people last week. It, it felt like Madison Square Garden. I mean, it was one of the greatest moments of my career. And, and after the, the segment was done during commercial or after the show, whatever, I grabbed the mic and said that to the people that were in, in the audience, like, thank you for being here. And it's one of the greatest moments of my career because our last show with fans was in Salt Lake City, March 11th, 2020. Um, think about that, March 11th, April, May, June, July, August, basically five months. And we're pros. There's no fans. Okay, well, we'll just work with no fans. You know, That's what we'll do. Yes, we did it. Yes, it was awesome. I think we did a great job of putting on a quality show week after week after week. But having said that, there is nothing, nothing like having a live crowd there. So it was, it, like I said, it gave me goosebumps. It gave me chills. Uh, I was a little bit scared. Like, are they still going to remember? You know, like when, when you don't have crowds for five months, you don't even really know who's over anymore. Like, what? Like you know, it's like a, a dream that you might have. Like, what if I go out there and nobody remembers me or nobody cares or this person doesn't care or this person doesn't know us? Um to have that, that fan base there, even a, a 10% uh, a version of it was still one of the greatest feelings and singing Judas, chanting, chanting freshly squeezed and like, oh my gosh, you forget how important it is to have live fans. And like I said, it was great having people at ringside. It was great having employees from the local steakhouse come to hang out. You know, it's great having people on a TV screen in the center. I love it but nothing replaces the actual real life reactions of an actual real life crowd. And it was such, such an amazing feeling. I'll never forget it. And I think it was memorable for even us watching at home just to hear a crowd again. And like you said, it sounded like a sold out Madison square garden because we haven't heard crowd noise in over five months. Right. Uh, by the way, Chris, roll the bones, I think is a very underrated album. I'm glad you mentioned it. Agreed. Also too. Oh, a very, very, very underrated. Um, also, one thing that you have done during this pandemic era that people absolutely loved is your commentating. When you're in that commentating booth, it, it just brings the show to another level. And I've said it here on Busted Open. It kind of reminds me a lot of, you know, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, where there's the chemistry there. And you had that chemistry with Jr. and Tony Schiavone. And just like the one-liners, I mean, you really you really killed it and knocked it out of the park, Chris. Well, well, thanks. I know, I know how hard it is for you to compliment. I appreciate that. Um, that all started when we did a couple shows in Dan's place in March. I mentioned March 11th in Salt Lake City was our last show with films. Then we kind of moved over to Daily's place. And that was back, you know, no one knew remember back in the days of flatten the curve, like the good old days, no one knew exactly what was going to happen. And then suddenly we got the call. I remember it was, it was, it was the night where I did the um, promo in my hot tub with the uh, drone where I gave him the inner circle shirt and flew away the release the hounds promo and did it. It was great. And that was originally all I was going to do that week just for something different. And then the next week, I actually had it written into my program that I'll do commentary because it was a week where I didn't really have anything to do. So just let me do commentary. I've done it for a few matches here and there. 
but let me do a whole show. Like, Ooh, what a big, what a big, uh, uh, shot. And then that night we heard that Florida was shut down and I called Tony Connor. It was like at 10 Oh five that Wednesday night in the evening. What are we doing? He's like, dude, I just, I just wrote six weeks of TV. Like we got, we're filming in Atlanta. I'm like, well, Venus, really? You're going to come? Of course I'm going to come. What are you going to do? Just put me on commentary for the whole thing. We don't have to worry about angles or notches. We don't have time to worry about it. Um, we were focusing on a TNT title. Let's make that the focus of the next four weeks. And I'll just do commentary. And he's like, that'd be great. So uh, that was, that was the reason why that happened. So I flew to Atlanta. Uh, Jim was in Oklahoma. He couldn't travel. Uh, same with Excalibur. So Tony was the only guy there. And they were going to put rotating guests on commentary. And I said, just put me on the whole time. And that was the first time I've ever done commentary for a whole show. And the first show that we did, we did 30 matches that day. We called 30 matches. Wow. And when it was done, Tony and I were both like, like, holy smokes, man, that was really cool. Like, that was a lot of fun. And thank you, Tony. Thank you, Chris. And that's when I realized that this is actually something I really enjoyed doing. And Tony was flipping out and, and everyone loved it. And then suddenly it goes on air and Jared Shivani, best commentating team ever, blah, 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 whatever. Point being, it was another, something I've always learned in wrestling and rock and roll as well. The more jobs you can do, the more valuable you are. And that was just another kind of feather in my cap that we now use probably once a month. And listen, I'm not going to lie to you. When I finished wrestling in, you know, one year, 10 years, 100 years, whatever it may be, I would love nothing more than to be a full-time commentator. And my goal was to bring the energy of, of Jesse Ventura, bring the energy of Bobby Heenan, and why is that? Because there's nobody in the crowd. There's no fans here. Somebody has to make up for that lack of energy. And as a heel, I can do that. As an obnoxious heel, I can I can borderline scream. I can tell jokes. I can sing Scorpion songs. I can make obscure pop culture references like The Family Guy. If you get it, it's hilarious. If you don't, move on to the next thing. And that's kind of my whole mindset. Create energy and create life when there is none in the crowd by doing that on the microphone. And I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, like I said, it was something that, that I, I plan and hopefully plan to do more of in the future. I've always known you to be a, a competitive guy, especially in the world of pro wrestling, uh, and a competitive guy that understands the, the competitiveness of a Vince McMahon and a Triple H. Uh, for the past year, obviously, Wednesday nights between you, uh, AEW and NXT, back and forth. You guys seem to be, quote unquote, winning with, with the ratings as you like to tout. You've taken it. You've made it part of your persona. If the rumors are true and there is the possibility of NXT moving to a Tuesday night, how much of a victory is that in your mind? Um, listen, once again, it was never a, a war to me. This is a war that was thrust upon us by a company that's very petty and uh, very spiteful. And we know the reason why NXT was put on Wednesday nights. One reason, to mess with us. Listen, we get it. It's awesome. We paid attention to what we were doing. Um, I heard that while their show is on, our show is, is, is on screens in the gorilla position. Their show is not on our screens. We don't care what they're doing. We have no interest in it. Listen, we watch. 
Obviously, we get the ratings where we beat them week after week after week. We beat them in the demo, which people think is a joke. It's real. It's the only thing that matters to TV uh, uh, channels, TV networks, and advertisers is that uh, the elusive 18 to 40 that demo. Google it. Look it up. We win every week. They should retreat. They should move to any other night. Get away from us. You guys got a great program and it's neat. Why would you want to sacrifice your own ratings just to be spiteful and petty to, to go head-to-head with AEW? We're not going anywhere. And put anything you want, we'll continue to beat you. So it is a victory, but it's also the right move from a business standpoint. Get your head out of your rear end and just worry about your product the same way we worry about ours. If they move to Tuesday, smart move. That way you guys can get 850000 900000 whatever. Get 10 million viewers. Congratulations. You know, huzzah, mazel tov. Leave us to do what our thing is, and we'll get over a million, too. So um, I, think it's, I think it's a smart move business-wise on theirs because um, they lost, you know? And there's nothing wrong with conceding defeat, moving to a different night, and worrying about your show and not worrying about going head-to-head with AEW because you can't stop us. You know, Chris, uh, again, we're talking about we're talking to Chris Jericho about All Out taking place this Saturday, September 5th, uh, available on pay-per-view, available on BR Live. And, and Chris, first of all, thanks for the time today. We always appreciate it. And I know you're only coming on because of Bully, because you dislike me. You've made that very, very clear on every platform that you're on that you don't like me and the fact that you didn't invite me to your cruise. Uh, but but I'm glad that uh, you came on because of Bully. And really quick, I just wanted to bring something up outside of wrestling, and that is Talk is Jericho. And you're killing it on that show. And a lot of times you dip outside the world of pro wrestling. And your recent interview with Don Dokken was off the charts. And, and I think everybody should be listening to Talk is Jericho. And your, and your Island Deathmatch episode as well was very, very informative. I, I, I think the podcast is doing extremely well, Chris. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've been working on it for seven years to build it up to where it is. And by the way, I don't just like you, Dave. I just go by surveys and by uh, the, the, the polls that we take. And on the first cruise, um, we have who's the most popular performers, the most popular talent, this guy, that guy, this girl, this girl. And we also have the least popular, uh, I demand a refund category. Sorry to say, you were on that. You weren't the top of the list, but you were very close to the top. So um, maybe in the future I can bring it back. But at this point, I got a lot of unsatisfied customers uh, to check the box. Excuse me, sir, but uh, since you do no call yourself, how much you try to kiss his ass, no, he continues me, to throw right. dirt on uh, your face. No, because let me tell you uh, something. Let's get, let's let me get back to talking about the. No, 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 because you call yourself the demo god. Let's talk about demos for a second here, because you know damn well, Mr. Jericho, that some of your highest, I mean, highest rated episodes of Talk is Jericho is when you've had busted open personnel on your show. And by the way, bad booking decision by you on the cruise. You have me and Sammy Callahan doing a show going up against the main event that's taking place in the tournament outside on the poop deck of the of the Chris Jericho cruise. So that's just bad booking decisions by you. But you do know that Busted Open brings the ratings. And, sir, we are the number one. I, I repeat myself. Number one sports talk show on Busted Open. But please continue. 
Hey, LaGreca, why do you think I'm doing the show? You think I want to uh, talk to a bunch of the drools on, you know, the Schlotsky wrestling report? I'm here because you guys do draw ratings. And I'll tell you something else, LaGreca. You want to get hyper? You want to get fired up? I know you for many years. Get angry now. I played, Fozzie played on the Kiss Cruise on the poop deck against Kiss. Yeah, we were booked to do a show at the same time Kiss was booked to do a show on the Kiss Cruise. And you know what we did, LaGreca? We made it great, and they invited us back. That's what you do. So let's go back and talk about the subject at hand, which is me. Talk to Jericho. Seven years, man. Now everybody's got a podcast. Literally, this is a true story. There's 850,000. This is not an exaggeration. You guys can Google it and look it up. 850,000 podcasts on iTunes and Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. Talk is Jericho is in the top 100. Thanks to the great guests that I've had, including you, LaGreca. You were on the show. You did a great job. Uh, Bully's been on countless times. You did a better job. Uh, and the reason why is because I was able to corner that market early on and also make it uh, about the host. It's not about wrestling. It's not about music. It's not about paranormal. It's about Chris Jericho. And where I got the idea for that from is from the late, great Johnny Carson. We all love Johnny Carson. I would watch The Tonight Show every night no matter who the guest was. Sometimes if they had a great guest, I was super excited. Other times I would watch it because I really enjoyed Johnny Carson. And that's the secret of a podcast. That's the secret of a radio show. That's why Busted Open is so popular. That's why Talk is Jericho is so popular. It's because it's not an interview. It's a conversation. It's a fly on the wall and they talk about ACDC chat that people like to uh, listen in on. And that's why it's a big hit. Thank you very much, LaGreca. What's the next question? Bully, <laughs> bully, have anything else? I can't wait for Saturday. I, I personally cannot wait for Saturday because I can't wait to see Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy in the ring. Like Chris just said, it's the rubber match, man. We're going to see what's going to take place on All Out September 5th, this Saturday. And by the way, Chris, I still have the fucking Halloween box set that, you know, oh. I, come over to the, I come over to New York City, drop it off at the hotel, and you leave it there. You leave it there. Yeah, Hey, listen, don't you know, you, you can't swear on your show, man. You're going to get, uh, uh, you know, Doug Bennett, whoever your producer is, have to buzz that out. And listen, let me just say one more thing before you kick me off, LaGreca. Even though if you want ratings, Chris Jericho is rated. I came up with the Mimosa Mayhem match because we needed some kind of a third match, some kind of a gimmick, something that had never been seen before. And I was using my noggin, using my noodle, and this whole feud is based around him dumping orange juice on me, us bubbly boarding him a couple of weeks ago. Champagne and orange juice equals mimosa. What do I do? And here's where I got the inspiration for it. Even though you never asked me the doctor, but people want to hear this. I was watching old school FMW exploding barbed wire board death matches. And what were those matches? Terry Funk versus Anita. And he's, he's, oh my God, he's almost in the barbed wire, and he pulls out. Oh, he's going to fall in the barbed wire. Drama, drama, drama. And then finally, the dude hits the barbed wire, it explodes. It's not about the explosion, it's for the drama to get there. And that's exactly what I'm doing with the Mimosa Mayhem match. Yes, the finish, uh, the idea, the winner, either Finfall Submission or getting thrown into 500 gallons of bubbly, which is great. Just think of every Royal Rumble match ever, when you skin the cat and your, your legs... Uh, spike the floor and, and you're almost over the top 
The floor is lava, LaGreca, except for now the floor is mimosa, and it's going to be one of the most exciting matches I've been involved in. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.